0: Hello and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about the classical world, literature, and the things that have to do with that. Good. Uh, uh, Delivered to you by three guys who love classical education and the classical world. My name is Graham Donaldson. I am here with Arthur Jan Hannenberg. That's me. And Thomas Magby. Hello. And we are here today to talk to you about history. But I just need to confess something before oh. this podcast happens. Listeners, you don't know this, but these two other podcasters have three times offered me the crown mm. to be king of the podcast. And Price. thrice I have denied it. Yeah. And I just want you to know that I'm a man of the people <laughs> and I podcast for the people and I don't want to be emperor of the podcast. But if I have to be, mm-hmm. I will. Um, I appreciate that. Just, I just wanted to put that out there. Thank you. And, um, I have no fear about the future mm-hmm. and you are my friends and I know you've got my back <laughs> and, um, um,
1: I'm afraid that if you're putting on this character, there's some elements that you might not necessarily want
2: that <laughs> <laughs> we stab him. As, he, no, he divorced his after. wife cause oh, of a sexy scandal. There I don't anyways.
1: want a sexy scandal. <laughs> no. All right. Today. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Graham is hinting at it pretty oh. heavy handed over there. I'm talking about Julius Caesar. And not just Julius Caesar. I'm talking about Julius Caesar and the historian Plutarch and Shakespeare. Yeah. I'm trying to – I'm doing the whole – I'm doing everybody. I'm doing the up, whole – Yeah. It's going to be the whole thing. <laughs> Four-hour podcast. I, it is uh, possible that I am way <laughs> overprepared for this, and that's going to take way longer than I think. I hope not. I'm going to try to keep it brisk and keep it moving, and, and you'll see the point when I hit the end of this. So <laughs> – I have what to tell you first when Romulus and Remus were suckled <laughs> by the she-wolf, yeah, right at the which is also really cool. <laughs> yeah. Probably didn't happen, but still really cool. All right, so I'm imagine if you will, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> a ninth grade English teacher who mm-hmm. has recently been teaching Julius Caesar, mm-hmm. which is a play by Shakespeare. I have the image in my mind. Yeah, I can okay. see this. Now, imagine this teacher mm-hmm. begins to read some other classical works namely one history book by a fellow called Plutarch, right? Yep. Plutarch wrote a book called The Lives, right? Or Lives. And it's it's Plutarch's Lives. It's a, it is a fantastic book. I think I've re- referenced it before in the podcast. It just talks about the kings of Rome as they are opposed to the kings of Greece. And he'll give you a king of Rome and then a king of Greece, and then he'll compare the two and say which one was better or more v- virtuous. It does not pretend at all at objectivity, right. right? hes I mean, historically, he tries to be objective, but he makes value judgments based on these characters, which I honestly kind of appreciate, right? History books, unless they are just lists of dates and facts, right. even then are still probably a little biased, right? So I, I appreciate that he takes one sides, and it's incredibly interesting, especially the stuff about Lycurgus, the founder of Sparta, who solved class problems by outlawing gold coins. It's, it's awesome. Socialist. Oh no, that's I mean you can still have lots of iron ones, just good luck hauling those around with your donkeys. Mm. Uh, so he I mean it's it's a great book. Near the beginning you might struggle a little bit through, you know, Romulus and Remus because for even Plutarch, that was so far back that the information is really hard to come by. But when you get closer to Plutarch, when Plutarch actually lived, the information gets a lot more credible and that sort of thing. He's a great historian, it's really interesting. So I as a ninth grade t- teacher read this mm. and came came to find that it had some bearing on Shakespeare, which I'll kind of reveal later. And all of this concerns a fellow named Julius Caesar. And you've probably heard of Julius Caesar. So I'm going to start telling you about Julius Caesar's life. Part of it is going to be supplemented. The Plutarch is going to be supplemented with a little... you know, some, some side sources, <clears throat> Wikipedia for, <laughs> yes. for just like basic dates and stuff that Plutarch doesn't necessarily focus on. And then I will give you some stuff directly from Plutarch and then I'll guide you to my conclusion. So yeah. that's the lay of the land. That's where we're going. Cool. So Julius Caesar was born into a patrician family, right? They, they're kind of rich, but they're not that influential in the empire. Uh, they're the family's called the Gens Julia, which Ultimately, claims descendants from Aeneas, and therefore from Venus or Aphrodite. Right, that was one of the Rome Romans' big claims: was that since Aeneas came from Aphrodite, and since Aeneas eventually founded Rome, then Rome could claim godhood, essentially. At least the citizens of Rome could, or anybody directly descended, and he was one of these people. The name Caesar comes from an ancestor who was one of these three options, either born by Caesarean section, right? So there oh, well, that's where the that name comes Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, possibly. Yeah. It's either that with, because of the Latin, the words sure. like Caesar to cut. Um, wow. It's also possible that the name comes from having a thick head of hair or from having gray eyes or from one of his ancestors killing an elephant, so it's one of those okay, four great. things: okay. either awesome. Caesarean section, or he had nice hair, or gray eyes. Definitely one of those. Caesar himself favored the elephant version of this, uh, yeah, probably. I'm sure. yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, probably yeah. Probably because he issued even a coin with a big elephant on it. I think he was fond of that one. <laughs> he thought a lot of him and his himself and his family.
0: Wait, just when you're saying that, so Rome does that mean that Rome had this close association with Aphrodite? Yeah. Did they, I remember reading this when I was a little kid and I don't know if it was just the author (laughs) was just saying this for fun or if this actually had credence. But is that have anything to do with um, Roma or uh, being a more backwards? Like, does it have anything to do with the word love and the word for Rome? No, I doubt it. Okay. Probably I mean, making
1: that up. Maybe if someone founded a city and was it like, may have Let's just been, do dude, some like make it love backwards.
0: It may have just been some like fun kid's book of, about Rome. And I remember reading that like Rome had a secret word um, and it was amor. Um, but uh, that may have just been this little kid's book, uh, this children's book that I read. Anyway.
1: Okay, so I'm going to keep on giving you some bare facts, and I'm mm-hmm. kind of going to give you an overview of Caesar's life, and then... Bare facts? Don't talk about elephants. Bare facts. They hibernate. <laughs> and then I'm going to go back and sort of <laughs> fill in this picture a little bit. So at 16 years old, his dad dies, oh. making him the head of the family. And this also coincided, and this is in 85 BC, with a civil war between two guys, Marius and Sulla, who were fighting for control of the empire. Now, Marius happened to be his uncle. He also happened to be on the losing side of this. And Sulla won. And so because Sulla was in charge, he stripped Julius Caesar of his priesthood. He was going to be a priest of Jupiter. And I think there's actually some political intrigue going on in the background here. I think Sulla himself was up for it and kind of said, nope, let's give it to Julius. And then eventually it got around that he was probably going to kill Julius. And so Julius sort of took off. And did not want to be there anymore, which makes a lot of sense. But it's kind of good because a priest of Jupiter is forbidden from touching a horse, sleeping three nights outside of his own bed, or one night outside of Rome, or even looking on an army. So if if young Julius had stayed a priest of Jupiter, he would have lived a completely different life. I have almost done all of those things. (laughs) Except (laughs) sleeping in Rome. No, I've touched a horse. And so he leaves He leaves to avoid Sulla mm-hmm. and his murderous ways, and he actually tries to stay out of the limelight pretty aggressively here, and then eventually joins the army, and he wins a civic crown for his part in one of the sieges. He goes on a mission to Bithynia to get help from a king there, and... He actually stays way too long down there to get help from this king, and rumors start to circulate about maybe a relationship going on there. It's doubtful, Mm. but those rumors would kind of plague him for quite a long time. On the way back, he was kidnapped by pirates. Yar, that's cool. Which I will tell you about later in at more length. Oh, fun fact about Sulla: he had a really bad skin condition, super super itchy,
0: and his face was all like pop marked from it. Mm. Yeah.
1: So he heads back to some military action in Asia. He is elected for after, you know, Sola kind of gets out of there. He's elected for K.S. in 69 B.C. He delivers a funeral oration for his aunt, Julia. His wife, Cornelia, also died that year. And so he gives these funeral orations for them. And doing funeral orations for older women was a thing, right? Everybody did it. And his was so touching. And then he gave one for a younger woman, his wife, which was not a thing people typically did. And it was so human that it won a lot of acclaim from all the people. They're like, wow, he's, what a nice guy, right? Saying these nice things about his wife. And then he felt like that was a really good time to sort of make some political moves. And so he sort of brought out some of the images of Marius that had been pulled down before. Remember Marius was defeated, his uncle was defeated by Sulla, his opponent. And so he brings these out and everyone's like, great, he's bringing back some of our heritage and all these people that have been so oppressed for so long. And so he garners support from some of those people that supported Marius, but hadn't been able to say anything for a really long time. Uh, He serves his caestorship in Spain. While he's there, he encounters a statue of Alexander the Great, and he's very dissatisfied and he even cries a little bit. And... Basically he he's dissatisfied at the statue. No, he's dissatisfied that he hasn't done as much with his life as, as Alexander hasn't. the Great had done at his same age, right? Yep. He, Alexander had had most of the world at his feet at this point in Julius Caesar's life and he's like, "Man, I'm like I haven't done anything worthy of note yet."
0: I feel that way when I've been watching the recent World Cup <laughs> and some guy scores like four goals and he's like, "Look at that 19-year-old <laughs> go." I'm like, "Oh, man." <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, on return he married Pompeia, a granddaughter of Sulla and sort of helps to oh, heal. That oh, I got your granddaughter. Uh, he later divorced her. I'll give oh, you a- okay. wow. I'll give you some more details on that scandal. Remember I mentioned a sexy scandal? Oh, oh that's coming. Oh, man. Uh, in 65 BC, I'm locked in. He was elected the Cyril aedile. He staged some lavish games winning him support. In 63, he got pontifex maximus after running against two other powerful senators. There was some lots of mudslinging. Basically, it's just a story of a slow gain of political power, right? He keeps on being elected to things. He keeps on doing well. And he consistently gains the favor of the people by spending money, putting on games. And he's pretty free with his money. And some people are like, dude, you are paying dearly for support. And he was actually, you know, that support ended up meaning more than the money ever did. Right? Uh, He was acclaimed imperator in 60 and 45 BC. Only your troops could do this if they really liked you. And mm-hmm. it was necessary for having a triumph, which was one of the greatest <laughs> honors in Rome. A triumph, you know, triumphal entry, we talk about that in the scripture, right? So it was kind of the same thing where a, a conqueror would come leading all of the spoils of war into Rome and be, you know, and he would get this laurel wreath and he, they would usually build an arch for him to walk under. That's where we see why we see a lot of those arches built in Rome even today. He had a big military career. He ended up redistributing some lands to the poor, using arms if need be. Um, He eventually started a thing called the. I'm I'm wondering how much I want to give you on my first pass. I'm just like
2: like, he sounds like a decent dude. Like, sure, he's doing it for political gain, but he's doing good stuff, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, he was. So yeah, he he also kind of went into debt and tried to avoid some of that debt. That's a bummer, but yeah. I do so is everybody else in the United States. Yeah. So wow. at this point, he has relevant.
0: Hard-hitting commentary.
1: Classical <laughs> stuff. So at this point, he has started something called the First Triumvirate, and it's a power like like we have this power in this mm, podcast. Wow. Yes. A, a power of three men. Yes. Um, Can I be the rich one? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Crassus. Yeah. Welcome. Pompey. Are you Pompey? Yeah, you're Pompey. And then, I can, I'll be Caesar. I'll be Pompey. You make conqueror. me
0: Pompous? When you die, someone pours molten
1: gold in your head. In my head? Yeah. I don't think that was Pompey. I think you were thinking of somebody else. I don't pretty think that happened to Pompey.
2: Pretty sure it's Pompey. I just don't want Pompey. molten gold on my head.
1: No, Pompey died in, in battle. And then you got his head. Different Pompey.
2: How oh. <laughs> I many Pompey? Anyway.
1: Pompe, the Pompey Julius Caesar fought died in Egypt being killed by an assassin.
0: Yeah. They, oh, Then wait, he delivered his head full of gold.
1: Really? I think so. Ah, I so All right, keep on. Uh, yeah, right, I'm, anyway. I'm Pompey. Yeah. Uh, he, then he went and had the Gaelic Wars, and I'll tell you more about those wars later. Proved himself a great warrior. Uh, came back, and during those wars, the triumvirate failed, and Crassus kicked it. Oh, stink. And so Caesar's out of town fighting wars. Crassus kicked it. If you're Pompey and the two other legs of your power are gone, <laughs> what do you want to do?
2: Are you actually asking me what I want. Yeah.
1: to do. You're Pompey. You have been ruling Rome with two other fellas. One mm. is now dead and the other one's out of town.
2: So I need two new dudes, right? So I can... I want to keep the power. Oh, you Oh, you think I'm going to die next, so I need to get no. out of town? Why not? No, just take, take the over? power. Take, You're the only one in Rome. I, I thought I needed three. You're a terrible, terrible three. I you, a terrible dictator. I am a terrible dictator. You have
1: all the... Yeah, you have all the power now, dude. Take over, man. Yeah, for sure. Two to us. Take this. Okay, and then we have civil war between Caesar and Pompey. Pompey gets killed. And then intrigue follows, right? Julius Caesar is eventually assassinated. So that is kind of an overview of his life. Real basic, right? He starts out, he has to flee Rome. He comes back, has a burgeoning political career, goes out for the wars. Eventually it comes to civil war. He takes full control and then is assassinated. How old is he when he dies? He is, I think, 60 something, 68, 67. Okay, let's talk about how Plutarch addresses all of this. Plutarch gives some more colorful details, and he doesn't necessarily focus so much on dates and facts and the offices that he got, but more some of the way that those things came about. So you remember the whole Sulla thing that happened, and the reason he left is because he had heard that Sulla had said he saw many a Marius in Caesar, and Marius was the guy he had just bested. Mm. So he's like, that guy looks dangerous, and I am... And so he heard that... Sulla thought these things of him and took off and he eventually as he was changing houses got caught by the the men of Sulla and the only way he could get out of it was, was by offering a huge bribe and so he did and he got off and he wasn't killed and this is when he sort of did his military campaigning and then went to Bithynia and then on his way back he was captured by pirates let me tell you a little bit more about that pirate instance. Mm-hmm.
2: This is from Plutarch
1: so I'm going to read, yeah this is verbatim from Plutarch cool. When these men at first demanded of him 20 talents for his ransom, and a talent, by the way, was an exorbitant amount of money. We're talking, I think, I, I tried to look it up, the best evening I could, you know, the best uh, weight measurement I could get was, it, it's like a weight measurement of gold or silver, and it's equivalent to about 16 years of salary. Is so, one talent? Yeah, it's one talent. So wow. 20 of those. Wow. Which is a, just a gob of money. So they asked him 20 talents for his ransom. He laughed at them for not understanding the value of their prisoner and voluntarily engaged to give them 50. He presently dispatched those about him to several places to raise the money, till at last he was left among a set of the most bloodthirsty people in the world, the Cilicians, only with one friend and two attendants. Yet he made so little of them that when he had a mind to sleep, he would send to them and order them to make no noise. For 38 days, with all the freedom in the world, He amused himself with joining in their exercises and games, as if they had not been his keepers, but his guards. He wrote verses and speeches and made them his auditors. And those who did not admire them, he called to their faces illiterate and barbarous, and would often in raillery threaten to hang them. (laughs) they were greatly taken with this and attributed his free talking to a kind of simplicity and boyish playfulness. Yar, ha, 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 He's funny. He insults He's, a, are, he's a good one. So he'd, one. he'd write poems and they'd be like, that poem sucks. And he'd be like, yeah, I'm going to hang you. And they were like, <laughs> oh, oh, what a yeah, card. you yeah, yeah, <laughs> wag. <laughs> As soon as his ransom was come from Miletus, he paid it and was discharged, and proceeded at once to man some ships at the port of Miletus, and went in pursuit of pirates, right, exactly. whom he surprised with their prison at uh, with their ships still stationed at the island, and took most of them, their money. He made his prize, right. so he paid them, and got took them, the took all their money back, and they hadn't left because I don't think they understood the guy that they were dealing with. <laughs> Uh, he, their money he made his prize, and the men he secured in prison at Pergamus. And he made application to Junius, who was then governor of Asia, to whose office it belonged as praetor to determine their punishment. <laughs> you Junius, like my
0: poems now?
1: <laughs> yeah. Junius, having his eye upon the money, for the sum was considerable, said he would think at his leisure what to do with the prisoners, yeah. upon which Caesar took his leave of him and went off to Pergamus, where he ordered the pirates to be brought forth and crucified, right. the punishment he had often threatened them with whilst he was in their hands. Wow. And they little dreamt. He was in earnest. Wow. And he actually, from his mercy, he had their throats cut in the middle of it. So <laughs> so he's captured by pirates. He writes poems and plays in their an games. awesome month. Yeah. He has a great month. He calls them idiots, illiterate, and barbarous, threatens to hang them, and then they let him go, and he does exactly what he with promised it. to do. Yeah. So that's kind of the guy we're dealing with. And then after that, he goes and is schooled in rhetoric. So kids, if you're listening at home. <laughs> he doesn't
2: sound like such a great guy anymore. Yeah. Mm.
1: We'll see how you feel at the end of this. Um, So he goes to be schooled in rhetoric at one of the same schools that Cicero was in. And while he could have attained a high position as a rhetorician, he was a great speaker. He decided more to turn his attentions to military and statesmanship rather than being a speaker of men. Hmm. Right. So then he goes home. He starts being a lawyer. And I'm going to gloss over some of this. Uh, Here's a little passage about this time from Plutarch. In his pleadings at Rome his eloquence soon obtained him great credit and favor, and he won no less upon the affections of the people by affability of his manners and address, in which he showed a tact and consideration beyond what would have been expected at his age. (laughs) And the open house he kept, the entertainments he gave, and the general splendor of his manner of life contributed little by little to create and increase his political influence. His enemies slighted the growth of it at first, presuming it would soon fail when his money was gone, whilst in the meantime it was growing up and flourishing among the common people." When his power at last was established, and not to be overthrown, and now openly tended to the altering of the whole constitution, they were aware too late that there is no beginning so mean, which continued application will not make considerable, (laughs) and that despising a danger at first will make it at last irresistible. Cicero was the first who had any suspicions of his designs upon the government. And as a good pilot is apprehensive of a storm when the sea is most smiling, saw the designing temper of the man through his disguise of good humor and affability, and said that in general, in all he didn't undertook, he detected the ambition for absolute power. And then this is quoting Cicero. But when I see his hair so carefully arranged... And observe him adjusting it with one finger. I cannot imagine it should enter into such a man's thoughts to subvert the Roman state. (laughs) So Cicero's like, he seems really ambitious, but man, he's such a dandy that I can't, I can't think that he actually wants it. Uh, so then he has the episode where he praises his dead wife and his aunt Julia when they die or yeah,
2: that's after he goes to rhetoric school or whatever it's called.
1: Yes. After he does rhetoric school and stuff, uh, he was pretty free with his cash again, and eventually designed to make Marius's fans his fans. Mm. So he gets a whole bunch of support, and then he has a weird scandal involving his wife Pompeia. This is his second wife. Remember, the, his first one died. <laughs> Sulla's granddaughter. Sulla's granddaughter, and I think by this time Sulla's kicked it. Mm-hmm. So he's he's pretty open with his overtures at towards power now, and. So there's this festival called the Bonadia, or Good Goddess. Like men aren't even allowed to know the name of this goddess. Oh wow! So it is a it is a only for the ladies. When they celebrate this, Ladies Night, everything <laughs> male has to leave the house. Wow! Everything we're talking dogs, chickens, any male is expelled from the house. And then they have junk mail. Yeah, <laughs> any male. Well done. They they bring in all the ladies, and then they have these secret events. Now there was a guy, Clodius or Claudius. I, and I, I can't help but wonder if this is where being a Claude comes from, but he dresses as a woman, <laughs> sneaks into these games, which is not okay at all, getting into, you know, I mean, it's, if you offend the gods, you're in big trouble. This, right. is a, this is a huge breach of religion in general and decency at the very least. So he, he dresses up as a woman and he's kind of sneaking around. And I think he had an inside, like, servant that let him in and then eventually someone comes up and is like hey let's hang out let's do the things we're supposed to do in the thing and he's like he has no idea yes lady yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a lady and she's like wait who are you and she looks face and she's like "A man <laughs> and then everyone freaks out and they you know they try to hide everything that's secret and it comes out that what claudius was intending to do was seduce caesar's wife oh oh that's why he was there. why at the party anyway whatever and so it's this big scandal. And eventually Caesar, even though it's not known whether she had anything to do with it or she had a relationship with this guy, it could have been that it was all his like, his idea. Mm-hmm. He's like, she hot, I'm going. But it could have been that she had something to go on, going on with it. And so he quietly divorces her. And everyone's like, why? If she didn't do anything wrong. He says, well, my wife has to be above reproach. right? She has to be above question. Well, and so he dang. divorced her.
2: I I was waiting for the part where you said he like
1: killed Claudius, but he uh, he actually gets Claudius involved in government.
0: <laughs> Wait, really? So he yeah. he wanted a divorce he all along, to, right. and he
1: just hired Claudius to do this. It's very possible. That's what that's. I also like. want
0: to know what's what happens at the party. What do they do? I don't know. Well, we're just hanging up by the. Uh, we're not supposed to know. <laughs> yeah, so
1: dude, like, it's it's cool, man. We have I mean, cool. there's guy stuff and there's girl stuff, it's that's girl stuff <laughs> If it's, I wonder if it's just like yeah, wine and karaoke. <laughs> really fun.
2: Awesome. I'm trying to imagine Roman karaoke right now. I got nothing.
1: Lots of lutes. <laughs> yep. Okay. So he he goes to be a caster in Spain and ends up getting a lot of debt. And to get out of debt, he has to call on this fellow named Crassus. And I've told you about Crassus. He's Me. one of the yeah. He's Graham. He's one of the first <laughs> triumvirate. Do you know how
0: I made all my money? How? Uh, I would burn your house down. I'm sorry. And then I would buy the land and then rebuild it for real yeah I own the fire department <laughs> so actually no what would happen would be somehow your house would catch fire and right. you'd be like somehow, and right. you'd be like oh my house is burning cressus and in your fire department can you put it out and be like yeah I can put your house out but how about you sell shit. it to me how about you sell oh. me this property and they'd be like, yeah, 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 I'll sell it to you for, you know, $10,000. And be Pennies like, uh, actually, your house is burning down. It's, the price is now eight. And be like, okay, okay, okay. And then you sell it for eight and then I bought this property and then I put the fire out and then I build it and then I'm rich.
2: That's messed up. It's true. He's a bad man. So.
1: I think uh, that's what Michael Bloomberg did too.
2: I don't think he oh. burned.
1: <laughs> he didn't burn places down. Oh, okay. No, that's probably true. <laughs> Anyway, this establishes the relationship between me and you, between Julius and Crassus. Mm -hmm. And then you, Crassus, and you, Pompey, you hate each other. I hate you. You are not – you've been at odds forever. And I realize that if I can make you two friendly, Mm -hmm. we three Mm -hmm. have enough firepower to pretty much run this place.
0: Oh. Pompey, you were pretty cool. I mean, if if Caesar wasn't around, you would have been like the top boy in Rome. You've got all the talents. you got like – you, you know, you're a first-line center on a good hockey team. Yeah. <laughs> but more Julius it. Caesar yep. is, like, generational
1: talent.
2: Yeah. But if I... Don't I run this triumvirate thing now? Like, I'm dictator. Not yet.
1: So Not yet. this Not is right, right, right at the beginning. Sorry. And Sorry. We, we're we elected consul. We're the mm-hmm. first three-man mm-hmm. consul. Like, usually that's a, a duo. And mm-hmm. then eventually, you know, they elect a new duo. <clears throat> so we, we pretty much run everything. And we do it partially through shows of power. Mm. Right? I, Caesar, would pr- propose this... Thing that the senators didn't like and the senators would cross me and then I would say all right You guys are crossing me I'm gonna have to go run it by the people and I'd run outside and be like you guys agree and all the people be like Yeah, and then <laughs> meanwhile, guys, I'm like giving them buckets of money <laughs> and okay. you would be good. running out your military yeah. And so the Senate would be really terrified. Right. We clearly have enough money power and influence to make all of this happen Yep, so we run the place. We run this joint I Take like it. that Senate. I like the story. This is good yeah, and the way that I kind of healed the rift is by having I think it was Pompey marry one of my kids. Yeah, okay. it's yeah. kind
0: of like the like the the prequels of Star Wars. It's like you're Jar Jar and I'm the Emperor. Oh, I'm Oscar. sorry, I, don't, I do not appreciate this comparison.
2: And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: it's like the Galactic Senate. Okay, so then just right, just right right is there a sort of, right
2: in the Galactic Senate?
0: There's Jar Jar who like does <laughs> Jar Jar like, no Jar Jar does like, like 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 Misa submit this like you know <laughs> affidavit for are you approval? saying that Jar Jar <laughs>
1: is part of the triumvirate? It is and, he
0: is well, Jar Jar is
1: the Dark Lord in, in right, the third one. Y'all, right, y'all no, the he's the like, that he's just like a some Sith. random
2: dope. No, isn't he? like they make but, him a senator. But you there's, there's also a theory that Jar Jar is like a Sith the entire time and he's <laughs> the one orchestrating everything. There's yeah.
1: also a theory in Karate Kid that <laughs> the main. Protagonist, what's his name? Johnny? Sure. Yeah. Um, Is like Daniel's son. Oh, Daniel. <laughs> I'm so, so sorry. Daniel is a mentally addled, antisocial kid that <laughs> routinely assaults people who don't deserve it and stalks women. Oh, <laughs> and no. they go through all of these scenes to show how he's done oh, all yeah, of these. If you just watch the movie not from
0: his perspective, if you watch it from like Cobra Kai's perspective, you can be like, Daniel's son is a problem.
1: We got to <laughs> get this tickets. guy. guy out of yeah.
0: <laughs> we got to beat him up in a parking lot.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay, so he goes off to the wars. And this is kind of a a shift in his life between his previous political stuff and he's moving into his military campaigns. So he leaves. And you guys are both still alive. You're kind of running Rome. Good. right? You're, you're, You're in charge. I like this. And he takes off. And let me just read you some stuff about him as a general and as a man. This is coming from Plutarch. He was so much master of the goodwill and hearty service of his soldiers. That those who were in other expeditions were but ordinary men displayed a courage past defeating or withstanding when they went upon any danger where Caesar's glory was concerned. Such a one was Asilius, who in the sea fight before Marseille had his right hand struck off with a sword, yet did not quit his buckler out of his left, but struck the enemies in the face with it till he drove them off and made himself master of the vessel. So (laughs) loses his sword hand and just beats them up with his shield until he takes his ship back. Such another was Cassius Saeva who in a battle near Dir it's a place Dirhacium had one of his eyes shot out with an arrow his shoulder pierced with a javelin and his thigh with another and having received 130 darts upon his target called to the enemy as though he would surrender himself But when two of them came up to him, he cut off the shoulder of one with a sword and by a blow over the face forced the other to retire. And so with assistance of his friends who now came up, made his escape Hmm. again in Britain. When some of the foremost officers had accidentally got into a morass full of water and there were assaulted by the enemy, a common soldier, while Caesar stood and looked on, threw himself in the midst of them. And after many signal demonstrations of his valor, rescued the officers and beat off the barbarians. He himself, in the end, took to the water and with much difficulty, partly by swimming, partly by wading, passed it, but in the passage lost his shield. Mm. Caesar and his officers saw it and admired and went to meet him with joy and acclamation. But the soldier, much dejected and in tears, threw himself down at Caesar's feet and begged his pardon for having let go of his buckler. So they're inspired by Caesar's presence, and here's why. Added to this also, they're discussing Caesar... There was no danger to which he did not willingly expose himself, no labor from which he pleaded an exemption. His contempt of danger was not so much wondered at by his soldiers because they knew how much he coveted honor. But his enduring so much hardship, which he did to all appearance beyond his natural strength, very much astonished them. For he was a spare man, he had a soft and white skin, was distempered in the head and subject to an epilepsy, which it is said first seized him at Corduba. But he did not make the weakness of its constitution a pretext for his ease, but rather used war as the best physic against his indispositions. Whilst by indefatigable journeys, coarse diet, frequent lodging in the field, and continual laborious exercise, he struggled with his diseases and fortified his body against all attacks. He slept generally in his chariots or litters, employing even his rest in pursuit of action. So it's not like he commands them to go do stuff. He was in the front lines, he fought routinely, he... There's even an instance where they were visiting this poor guy's house, and he, Caesar, the leader of the armies, could have taken charge, but there was a sick guy in the team. And so he let the sick guy sleep inside, and everybody else slept outside, wow. including him. Hmm. Uh, here's so he's an, got
0: like a Teddy Roosevelt thing going
1: on. Yeah. Like, he was a sickly
0: huh. guy, but in order to combat that sickliness, he just sort of— He worked it. He worked it. Out, he worked hard. Them, yeah.
1: All right. There's two more stories I want to tell you. One is at table. So, when he was at the table of Valerius Leo, who entertained him at a supper in Milan, a dish of asparagus was put before him on which his host, instead of oil, had poured sweet ointment. Hmm. So, I think it's kind of like perfume instead of olive oil. Like, but as a mistake? Yeah. This was not intended. That does not sound good. That sounds gross. Caesar partook of it without any disgust and reprimanded his friends for finding fault with it. Wow. To quote, For it was enough, said he, not to eat what you did not like, but he who reflects on another man's want of breeding shows he wants it as much himself. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> Eat that perfume disparity. Right? <laughs> it's so good. Alright, and then there's... So we're, we're getting on the big drama here, and as a last moment, I'll tell you about an instance where he pursued a, a, a rival king to a, a town, and he besieged the town, and he built some walls. Somehow, Word got out to the rest of this guy's army that he was besieging this small town, and so they're marching up behind Caesar. Oh, is this the French king? Uh, or the, the Gaul? I think so, yeah. Oh, what's his name? Um, well, I can I can read it to you. Um, let's see, where is it? Gallic fashion. Oh, Virgenterix is mm-hmm, his name. Mm-hmm. It's this Gallic barbarian king. And so they build the walls around Vergenterix, his army finds out, and they're coming to kill Caesar, so Caesar builds another set of walls around him. (laughs) So he has bad guys on the inside and bad guys on the Outside. outside, and the guys on the inside sort of find out what's going on and so start attacking, and the guys on the outside are attacking, and somehow Caesar, with some horsemen, breaks out of his wall, goes and routes the army outside of his wall, and he does it so fast So speedily does he destroy this army that the men that are fighting on the inside of Caesar's walls don't know what has happened until they see their own army bringing in, like, bloody armor and bucklers and horses and stuff that they've looted. And then when Virgenterix sees this, he sees, like, Gallic fashion swords and armor and stuff being brought in. He knows that his army has been destroyed, and he just... He walks out of the city, sits down on the ground, and takes off all of his armor and just sits there until Caesar comes up. It is awesome. So Caesar is no slouch when it comes to war. And then he was the, the main trophy in his triumph. That yeah, king. and mm. and Plutarch notes that of the three million men that Caesar fought while in the Gallic Wars, which by the way took him all the way to Britain, that they thought was a myth at mm. that point, and by the way was so poor that he pretty much just hurt people more than he did himself any favors because they didn't have anything worth stealing in Britain at the time. Apparently, he went looked around and was like, "This place kind of sucks." Yeah, this is like they're they're fighting me, but even then they're not fighting with that much spirit because they're like, "Take my sticks." I don't know, man. It's not that cool. Like whatever. And so he, uh, he fought three million men. He killed a million and took one million captive. Wow. And then the other million he left to be allies of Rome. So then he heads back. But, but at this time, remember, Crassus has died. Aw. And so... My money won't save me. And, uh, <laughs> and his dealings with Pompey are on the fritz, I think because his, his daughter had died, mm. and so Pompey was wifeless, and so there's nothing tying mm. us together. And so you think you're going to take, take the city. Take over, yep. So you do. You make overtures to take the city. And as I come to the Rubicon, I'm not allowed to pass into Rome with an army, right? I am not allowed to lead my army across this river. <laughs> and so I hem and I haw. And I, Caesar wondered what kind of damage he was going to do to everyone, to mankind, what sort of horrors it would bring if he brought his army into Rome. And he, he thought about it for a really long time. He asked the counsel of his friends. And then eventually he was just like, you know what? rock and roll and he he said a famous line let the die be cast or the die is cast it's one of the two mm. basically i've rolled the dice Yep. here we go folks and he after he made that decision to cross the rubicon with his army he didn't take it slow he started taking cities that mm. like that night before the next morning he had taken a city wow. and so what happened is he took cities is he would take the city then he treat everybody really nice he'd be like look just support me. You guys, you guys chill, chill. They'd be like, yes, we're chill. We we are chill. We're very (laughs) chill. (laughs) Chill indeed. And he'd be like, great. The chillest. Except people would hear that he was coming. And so they started running to a town further away Hmm. and this kept happening. And so there's just this flood of people running from town to town away from his advancing armies. So he conquers each
2: each one along the way because there are fewer people.
1: One of my favorite stories is that as he was coming up on a town, the guy that the mayor of the town thought he was going to die for certain. And so we had his physician come and give him a, what he thought was poison to kill himself. The physician didn't want to be responsible for his death and so gave him sleeping pills. And so, and then a messenger comes in and he's like, Hey, man, it's okay. I hear that Caesar's really nice to anybody that he conquers. And the guy's like, Oh, why did I take the poison? And at that point, the doctor's like, Dude, I got your back. It it was just sleeping pills. And he's like, Nice. (laughs) See you in a couple hours. (laughs) See you in a couple hours. And so he passes out for a while and then loses to Caesar. And then eventually he actually supports Pompey anyway. But by the time Caesar has reached Rome, Rome is so full of these fleeing peoples that the city is in total chaos. Mm-hmm. Everyone's afraid of Caesar. It's packed to the gills. There's no room for anything. That city was not made to hold that many people. And so Pompey is not in control of things anymore, right. obviously. And so eventually bails. Caesar takes the city. He takes money out of the treasury to pay his armies. And there's a guy that actually tried to stop him. And he's like, don't do this. It's wrong. He's like, dude, get out of my way. <laughs> the guy's like, Caesar, you know this is wrong. He's like... I have been nice to you,
2: right.
1: but I don't have to be.
2: Yeah.
1: And the guy's like, message taken. And he leaves. And so Caesar gets the money. And then he pursues Pompey. And they have this grand civil war. When does the Cato thing happen? Cato thing. Cato
0: uh, kills himself because he doesn't want Caesar to be around.
1: I'm not sure. It might okay. be right around here. Okay. But I, I don't know about that one. That may be when Caesar is considering being the king. So this anyway. big civil war ensues, and I'm not going to give you many details. Suffice it to say that Pompey ends up fleeing to Egypt, where he is assassinated by the king of Egypt, well, uh, by one of his assassins, to garner favor with Julius Caesar, who comes down and he sends him his head full of gold.
2: So this says that it was Crassus, an astoundingly wealthy gen- Roman general, was rumored to have died this way.
0: Oh dang it!
1: So, so it was wrong. So it was me. Yeah, it was, you. Oh, it was
2: me all along. You're rumored to have died
0: that oh. way. Yeah, so it might have
1: been Crassus. Um, in any case, Pompey Caesar cried when he saw Pompey's head. Remember, they were friends. And he was mm. so sad that he had the assassin killed. Right, And then, and then you know how the, the king of Egypt was trying to garner support? Like, okay. yeah. He actually supported Cleopatra, that mm. king's rival in their civil war. And mm. so he sets up Cleopatra on the Egyptian throne, makes a nice ally, and then heads back to Rome. Now, uh, Yeah, makes a nice ally. Don't they? Oh, yeah. They oh. hang out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doesn't they have like a little child? Yeah, he actually has a kid with her. And he continues that affair through their entire mm through pretty much his entire life, and no one really saw it as cheating. It was just like a thing that he did, and it was okay. (laughs) And so he returns to Rome, and this is where we're bumping up against Shakespeare. Hmm. So he comes back to Rome, and he has a triumphal entry for his defeat of Pompey. Now, as a Roman citizen, Pompey's another Roman citizen. That's true. Yeah. And especially after he goes out and defeats Pompey's kids. Yeah. Then he comes back. It's a bummer. How would you feel about that? It's almost like, say... You know, say say Trump had led a civil war against Marco Rubio, <laughs> killed Marco Rubio, and then murdered his kids. Would you be super stoked parade? about the parade? Yeah. That no, that no, would be sad. We would saying that no. this was like a blemish on the republic. Right, right. And so the people really love Caesar, and so he. A lot of them are claiming him, but a lot of the senators and the people who loved Pompey and were on Pompey's side feel real conflicted about this. And this is where. Shakespeare's play opens. Mm. It opens on that on the day. Entry. The day of the entry. And it also, I think it coincides with Lupercal. Okay. Uh, so it's this big parade. Caesar comes in, and some of the senators are, like, pulling scarves and garlands off of Caesar's statues to, like, knock him down a few pegs. <laughs> like, this will make him fly, right? And they pull some things off. And they're actually arrested mm. for that. Wow. And Caesar is pretty much in charge now. Yeah. At, at this time, he was elected dictator for life. He's there, pretty much in charge of everything. But
2: there's still a Senate, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. It just doesn't do anything?
1: He he passes some laws that reduce their power consistently. Yeah. And this is why the conspiracy... And that's when Cato kills himself. Yeah, this sure. is why when the conspiracy... Comes about because they can see that he kind of intends to reduce the power of the Senate and the people until it is no more, right? Their power is threatened. He keeps on garnishing more and more and more and more power and setting up people that support him in places of power. And the thing is, though, he's kind of doing a good job. He redistributes some of the public land to the poor Mm -hmm. and to his armies. He revises some of the laws. He resets the calendar. We actually still use the calendar, right? July... Mm -hmm is named for Julius. Julius yeah. So he, he pretty much set up the calendar we still use today. He was going to make one of the cities into a port. Huh. He, he was a really good statesman, right? The people liked him for a reason. It's because he did a lot of good things for him. But the conspiracy comes about, and the conspiracy centers around two fellas, Brutus and Cassius. Hmm. Now Brutus and Cassius, for anyone who's read Dante, you know that they end up in Satan's mouth being chomped on right? because they betrayed their lord. Brutus is a great man like bar none he is a great guy and Julius Caesar when he was fighting with Pompey because Brutus had supported Pompey actually a couple of times had heard that he was in danger and was really scared for him and then got news that he was okay and was like great and he brought Brutus in and he said look I know you've been supporting Pompey support me I'll make you in charge of a town let's be friends just like I said he was nice to anybody he conquered he was incredibly generous to to Brutus and he actually had had kind of a thing for Brutus's mom so he was wondering if Brutus might be his kid
2: Oh, there you go. Okay. Well, wow.
1: Yeah. Is that in Plutarch? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So he has this thing for Brutus' mom. And it was kind of out in the open mm-hmm. and thought it might be his kid. So he has he has some pretty wow. solid feelings for Brutus. Yeah. Cassius, on the other hand, was a bit of a dirtbag. Yeah. And on a couple of different occasions, Caesar would say things like, yeah, I don't like that guy. He's too skinny and he thinks too much, <laughs> right? Like I don't know anybody I should be afraid of more than that spare Cassius over there. Mm. And so Cassius finds out that as Julius Caesar is gaining power, Brutus is kind of feeling weird about it and so presses that. Mm. Convinces him to join the conspiracy and together they kill Julius Caesar on the Ides of March, so March 15th. And Casca, the guy who made the first blow, came up and stood behind Caesar as they were all sort of kneeling around him, stabbed him in the back of the neck. Caesar grabbed his hand looked at Casca in the face and said "Casca, you villain what do you think you're doing and Casca goes like help <laughs> like this he's like "No, oh, no and so everyone starts stabbing and there were so many blades flurrying around that many of the conspirators actually cut each other mm. because it was just accidental yeah. right and so he died that day and then eventually it dissolved into civil war so why do i bring this up
2: Well, can i say so um you're, you're probably going into this but when shakespeare tells it I feel like it's a more complicated story, and Dante clearly takes a side in saying that Brutus and Cassius did a bad thing, but the history you set up makes it sound much more reasonable that Brutus would take part in this, that the murder would occur.
1: You think it sounds reasonable or not?
2: Yeah, yeah, knowing that he is gathering as much power as he is, he is taking away from the Senate, that he has killed a Roman citizen, is celebrating the death of a Roman citizen, like, just because... So Julius Caesar has always been a political dude, and so he's doing things to get more power. So in the same way, him re- redistributing land is to get more power and to get more favor. Well, I mean, the people who But are, then he has he
1: has the power. Like, but the
2: people who are benefiting are not going to oppose him. It has to be someone like Brutus in the Senate. It has to be someone who is a check on that power. And yeah, I don't, I don't, it just makes me much more sympathetic to um, to
1: Brutus. Well, Shakespeare paints... A picture that is gray Mm -hmm. right he it doesn't spend much time with julius caesar it makes him seem at worst a little bit foolhardy Mm -hmm. which he was he balked at danger he didn't think it could ever touch him he was very prideful and even the day i think like near nearby when they were going to kill him somebody was talking they're like what is the best kind of death and he in the other room goes an unexpected one (laughs) like he yelled it through the walls and it I like that play because it is not a clear cut and dry who are the good guys and who are the bad guys yep. right and part of that is because it's historical. After reading Plutarch, I found that Shakespeare had not invented most of that play. He pulled sometimes verbatim yep. from Plutarch, and even before the the death of Caesar, there are omens mm. right that happen in the in the capital right. There's a line walking around. There are noises. There's blood drizzling from the sky. There are owls in, at noon, sort of screeching in the middle of the theater, and that's not okay. Like yeah. that's weird. That's a bad omen for them. There's it's a bad omen for everybody. Yeah, it's like <laughs> blood dripping from
0: your walls. I mean, you got
1: to check to get that checked. Yeah, out, and right? there's a guy walking around with his hand that looked like it went on, was on fire, and they put it out, and he was fine. That's and weird. then there was a bunch of like that's just flipping cool. <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, is these happened. Like these are mm. recorded by Plutarch as, as historical events. Mm. So the reason I think this this kind of dovetails nicely with Graham's: is that as an English teacher, teaching Julius Caesar prior to reading Plutarch, I could easily have made the mistake of trying to look for too much symbolism in those omens, or too much symbolism in some of the things that some of the characters said or did, when really he was just kind of lifting wholesale from, Pl- from Plutarch right. and putting it nicely. I'm not. I'm not saying that Shakespeare didn't do a great job with the play. It's just very clear he was drawing from a single source about what happened. Mm. And I'm gonna give you some comparisons here, but like the omens he lifted directly. Uh, the fact that Brutus, after he had killed Caesar before the final battle in which he died, talked to Julius Caesar's ghost happened, mm-hmm. right? He, and, and Brutus actually had a lot of trouble with it because he did not believe in ghosts. So he woke up the next day and he's like, Cassius, we gotta chat. I saw <laughs> something weird last night and I really need to know how to think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the fact that Cassius died on his, on the dagger that had stabbed Caesar was true. It's, it's not symbolic. It's just something that happened and fortuitous. Cool. The fact that he died on his birthday. Cassius di- like the final battle for his freedom mm. happened on his birthday and that's when he died. birth Actually happened. That Portia, Brutus's wife, when he was thinking of joining the conspiracy against Caesar, that he she had to see if she could handle a secret like that, cut herself in the thigh, gave herself a big gash and then covered it to see if she could deal with it, you know, in mm. a Steadfast way that happened. Mm. His wife was so awesome that she, just to see if she could handle the kind of secrets he was dealing with, she didn't even know what it was. Mm. Wounded herself, and then later when she said, "Look, you think that I can't handle a secret when I can do this?" and she pulled back her skirt wow. to show this giant like gash that she had made, and he was like, "Holy cow! You
2: are an <laughs> you hardcore. You're an intense woman."
1: <laughs> that she died later out of fear for him and from being like kind of diseased, and she was captured after he had left town. She actually shoved coals in her mouth, and that's how mm. she died. Wow. Burning hot coals. She Burning swallowed hot coals. Them. She swallowed hot coals to kill herself. That that happened. Like, all of these things are lifted directly from Plutarch. And so that, that is just another sort of facet of the symbolism question. Mm-hmm. Someone coming to this book having never read Plutarch or not really knowing the story could easily think that these things were intended to be symbolic. Yep. The ghost talking to Brutus. Cassius dying on the same blade that stabbed Caesar. Dying on his birthday. All of the omens, all of these things. But they're not. They're I'm sorry, we've got some drilling happening outside the apartment right now, so if you're hearing all this random drilling, that's that's a thing that's happening. Uh so I don't know. I I read this and I was impressed and It doesn't make me love the story any less. It just makes me leery sometimes of jumping to conclusions before I know source material for something, especially if it's historical. See, Romeo and Juliet was lifted from an old myth. Yep. But the myth doesn't give as many details as Romeo and Juliet does. Correct. Romeo and Juliet goes far further, and they're not historical characters, right, whereas Julius Caesar is. Do you guys want some of the examples of, like, side-to-side comparison here?
2: Yeah. I I think I'm just... so I hear that Shakespeare is lifting from Plutarch, but the thing I'm thinking is that Plutarch's, Plutarch is attempting, an, is attempting history, but that's not to say that everything is perfectly historical. Yeah, so, for sure.
1: I don't know. Yeah, Plutarch but, usually tries to note when things aren't.
2: Yeah. So just to say that like, there are things that could be symbolic in Plutarch that then are brought into Shakespeare. Shakespeare could use them symbolically, or they could have been symbolic in Plutarch, so it's the same and like, they're both being used symbolically.
1: Uh, Plutarch was a st- it's it's history. He is not intending anything to be symbolic. If it was symbolic, it was because people had seized on those and and kept them as history, and then he recorded it. Is that your point?
2: I just think I think it's a little more complicated than that because he is re- he is recording history. He's making value judgments. This is what you started with, but he like he's making judgments throughout history. And so um, to sit. It is a story about history, and not all of them necessarily actually happened. There are are recordings in Plutarchs of meetings between people who couldn't have actually met because they lived hundreds of years apart from each other, um, in the same way with these events of Julius Caesar. um,
1: But Plutarch, while Plutarch isn't fully reliable as a historical source, it it has some gaffes, it is not intended to be a story about history. He intends to record things as he thought they were historical at the time.
2: That's, what, that's why I'm saying they're not gaffes. So it is a more, think of it as a legendary sense of history. It's a more, um, yeah, it's not just Wikipedia, here's the list of things that happened. Um, yeah. But the thing is, is Plutarch. Wikipedia
1: is also drawing from Plutarch. Like he is one of the historians that we draw from. And there, there are some other things that fix that. But Wikipedia cites Plutarch. Even about the 3 million men that he fought while he was in the Gallic Wars. Was it exactly 3 million? No. But this is, I mean, we couldn't have recorded exactly how many people died. There was nobody keeping census up there. The only way we could get that information is legend from him, his men, and what what but, they brought the back. legend is
2: the right word for it. So even 3 million, if it's coming from Plutarch, are you willing to bet your life that exactly 3 million people were impacted by the wars.
1: No, but my point is that this is about as historical as we can be. You can't really different. get closer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? So, he, he got as close as he possibly could. He did not... I don't think Plutarch intended symbols. There may have been symbols because they were part of the legend, but the legend is as close as we're going to get in some of these instances. In any case, uh, th- let's see. I want to find... So, here are it's about the omens that happened before Julius Caesar died. And I, I forgot to finish the story. So Julius Caesar was assassinated. Cassius and Brutus flee because the people really turn on them. And after this rousing speech by Antony, Antony gives a funeral oration that kind of turns all public opinion against Brutus and Cassius. It's pretty awesome. And the Shakespearean version is the only version we have. We know that the speech happened that there really was a speech given by Mark Antony that changed everybody's minds and that after that they rioted and that Brutus and Cassius had to flee Rome. We don't know what it was actually said. So the best version we have of that is Shakespeare. Uh, they ride out, they eventually go to battle against Antony and the upcoming emperor Octavian and they lose. And that's it. So, and Octavian is Shakespeare's nephew.
0: Yes. Sorry. Shakespeare's nephew, Caesar's nephew. Caesar's nephew. (laughs)
1: Okay, so here's a little bit from The Omen, so I'll read Plutarch first. For touching the fires in the element, and also the solitary birds to be seen at noonday, sitting in the great marketplace, men were seen going up and down in fire, and furthermore that there was a slave of the soldiers that did, a, did cast a marvelous burning flame out of his hand, insomuch as that they, they that saw it thought he had been burnt, but when the fire was out, it was found he had no hurt. Caesar's self also, doing sacrifice unto the gods, found that one of the beasts which was sacrificed had no heart, And that was a strange thing in nature, how a beast could live without a heart. It's history, Thomas. Yep. Okay. And so, (laughs) looking at the actual play, so Casca says, But never till tonight, never till now, did I go through a tempest-dropping fire. And yesterday the bird of night did sit, even at noonday, upon the marketplace, hooting and shrieking. That would be an owl. And then again, a a hundred ghastly women transformed in their fear, who swore they saw men all in fire walk up and down the streets. Here's another one. A common slave, you know him well by sight, held up his left hand, which did flame and burn like twenty tor- torches joined, and yet his hand, not sensible of fire, remained unscorched. Just like some common themes going on in these uh, omens. Well, yeah, fire and looking like you're on fire, but my point is that he's, he's drawing pretty directly. Hmm. Um, if you're interested, both Caesar's life and Brutus' life are really interesting reads, and Julius Caesar's a great play, but... They are, I think they're even more powerful when you read them in tandem and you sort of see the original story as it was in Plutarch as Shakespeare would have read it and then read his version of Julius Caesar and the events there.
0: Hmm. Cool. Good. Yep. Uh, do we have a Rubicon? Does our Republic have some Rubicon, something that if it was crossed, it's like this big I think,
1: sacred... I, the I think border, uh, our it? borders. If, if somebody crossed our borders with an army... No, within, no, no, within but I mean like within
0: yeah. within the Republic itself. I guess maybe if, like, someone... Like, like his, you know, Rome has this legend, like, you do not bring an army across the Rubicon. I'm just wondering, like, we don't really... Do we... Yeah. Do well, countries you, do that anymore? Or do, like, nations have these sort of arbitrary things that you just don't do? Or else you it's, don't, this, it's this big You sacred.
1: don't bring soldiers into the Senate floor. I yeah. guess that's true.
2: Yeah. I get, wouldn't you be nervous of any gathering of, like, a big gathering of soldiers like that? Like, yeah. I don't think there's an exact location for it.
1: Like,
0: across the Potomac? Yeah, there it is. Yeah, I guess so.
1: So I've sort of hustled through this story. There is so much more that I could tell you. There's so much more in Plutarch, so many more little anecdotes. I could tell you way more about Brutus and Cassius and way more about the play and Anthony's speech in general as a great example of rhetoric, but... Really, I'm
0: curious about Caesar's hair now. I'm
1: gonna go. <laughs> His hair? Yeah. He said that like, was one of the reasons for his name. Yeah,
0: and uh, and also oh, that, not necessarily his that,
1: name. No, that his, fam- someone oh, oh, his family. Someone in his family. His sister was so like, he sorry.
0: can't possibly take over Rome. That man is obsessed with keeping his hair
1: perfect. So I want to know all about that because on all the busts of him, he has this like perfectly Coiffed. Coiffed hair. It's just, like these little loops. Although it seems his hairline is receding, so maybe he was Ooh. maybe that's why he was so conscious of it. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, did we get
0: any classical things wrong? Sure. I mean, I doubt it,
1: but... You got this one, Thomas?
2: Uh, No, I don't. It's not pulled up. Sorry.
1: All right, so we did have someone, as we were talking about Beowulf and Middle English versus Old English, we were a little confused on it. So Old English is anything pre-1066, like Beowulf. Middle English is between 1066 and 1485. So Sir Gawain and the Green Knight would be that. So would Chaucer. Early modern English is 1485 to 1660, Shakespeare, and then modern English is us, right? Anything post 1660. Modern, cool.
0: All right, awesome. Well, this has been classical stuff you should know. Um, if you want to tell us whether or not you think assassinating Caesar was a good idea or a bad idea, mm-hmm. you can email us at classicalstuff@veritasacademy.net.
1: If I think the more interesting question, because you know hindsight's 2020 and it devolved into civil war. I think the more Uh-oh. interesting question is. Would you have done it? Would you have assassinated Caesar? We should
0: totally kill Caesar. Um, <laughs> if you want to make any Mean Girls references, you can also tweet at us at, yeah. at uh, classicalstuff at Twitter. Um, that's us. T- uh, tweet our way, and I will try to tweet back at you. Um, that's just the fun of the internet. Um, if you, you can find us at classicalstuff.net or at any place that you can find podcasts. Uh, we thank you for listening to us. And do we have any commonplace book readings? I do not. Uh, all right. Cool. Well, then then we will sign off and catch you next this time. This is
1: Julius, Crassus, and Pompey. <laughs> the triumvirate. Signing off.
0: Um, one big happy family.
1: Really. <laughs> <laughs> Our friendships will never We're all looking away. side eyes at each <laughs> other. <laughs> Everything's going to go great.
0: <laughs> all right. Uh, we'll catch you next time. Right. Bye. See you later. Bye.